You're listening to Halford and Bruff. If live golf was the last place to play golf on earth, I would retire. That's how I feel about it. So, seriously? Yeah. And over the last 21 days, he was traded from the Colorado Avalanche to the Nashville Predators, who then didn't sign him to a new deal. And then he ended up on free agent day going to Arizona and just to have that contract terminated 12 days later certainly raised a few eyebrows for sure. Be curious to see what the NHLPA has to say about it. Little wave to this center court crowd from Novak Djokovic, who knows what it's like to play here on the biggest stage. Top of the morning to you. It's Dan Richo and Randy Janda here on The Morning Show. Yes. Alfred and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hey, you heard there on the intro, Rory McIlroy would not play on Live Golf or on the Live Golf Tour for however long that may last if it was the last place to play golf on earth. Start, I'd rather just retire, Randy. Start your own league. What are you talking about? Yeah. Murray oh, can do whatever he wants. Uh, I Okay. We made it to the end of the week, Reach. Yes. We made it to the end of the week. We did. Nobody slept in. I think by Friday, like, that was my best intro of the week so far. Potentially. Hey, 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 don't get don't get too excited. <laughs> it's a long show. What happened yesterday? <laughs> Great start. What happened at yeah, the end? We'll see if I can get the, uh, the read right for uh, what we learned coming up... Uh, after 8.30. You were like a boxer just going out throwing like four punch combos in the first round. Yes. And in the 12th round, just one solitary punch. Yeah, pretty much. Very uh, weak one at that. <laughs> so um, usually the other morning guys, they do ask us anything Friday. Uh, we're calling it Mail It In Friday. Since it's our last day on the morning show. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're <laughs> mailing it in. All right. It's going to be a good show. It's going to be a fun show. Yeah. But it is Friday. Well, and there's also not much to go on from last night other than uh, a couple of uh, CFL games. So, History was made last night, but we'll get to that in a little bit. It's a mail it in Friday. If you've got a question for us, send them through. We'll try to answer as many as we can. Of course, got a big show for you as well. Vanny Sartini, the coach of your Vancouver Whitecaps, will join us after 7 o'clock. They've got one final matchup in MLS play this weekend against the LA Galaxy before a bit of a break where the League's Cup will take over. We'll get his League's Cup take as well. We'll try to explain to you what exactly the League's Cup is, too, if you're kind of wondering, uh, what? What is this now? Uh, Felipe Carderas is going to join us as well. He'll talk about Lionel Messi and the impact Messi is having on subscribers for Apple TV and their season pass. Messi uh, was seen grocery shopping in the Miami area last night. We'll break down his grocery list later on in the show as well. Plus, Michael Dick, former Giants coach, new associate coach for the Toronto Marlies, will join us his time with the Vancouver Giants and uh, what he's looking forward to as an assistant with the Marlies. But let's get to what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I'm in 
because I was. We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca. What Happened? Well, let's start with the Vancouver Canucks. No, they weren't playing last night, but they did release their all-access video from the draft, Randy. Really enjoy those videos. Gives you another layer of understanding of how decisions were made another good one that came out yesterday yeah Canucks uh video team and social team do really good jobs uh with their videos I will say um the interesting thing that came out of it now I don't think this is breaking any state secrets which is why the Canucks were okay with putting it in the video but there's a discussion at the draft table on the draft floor between Patrick Alvin and at the time Todd Harvey, he says, as the Canucks are coming up, you hear Gary Bettman over the PA say, the St. Louis Blues with the 10th overall pick are on the clock. And Patrick looks over to Todd Harvey and he says, Todd, do you think we could trade down here? And I don't think we get to hear Todd's answer because... Mm-hmm. Derek Clancy chimes in and says, I don't think we'll get him if we move down. And then we know the rest of the history story. Uh, the Canucks went up with the 11th overall selection and, pele- and selected Tom Villander. Well, or Willander. I, I should probably I think just it's say Willander. The, uh, I think the, the English way. If Patrick Alvin says Willander, <laughs> it's the one I'm going with. Fellow Swede, but Villander did give us the Swedish pronunciation though when he was at Dev Camp. So okay, so are we going Villander here? We need to clarify this. Uh, Six a.m. hour, we have to figure it out early. Uh, Willander, Villander. All right, uh, choose your own. You know, adventure. you know what's going to happen. Batch is going to ask him <laughs> when he comes to town officially, like when he actually comes back next year. He'll yeah. have more confidence, and that'll be the actual pronunciation. Well, somebody's going to chime in, like, well, nobody ever says Pat John. Or whatever you would say. Yeah. My apologies to the Swedes listening. Yeah, uh, that was brutal. Elias Pettersson. Uh, our Stockholm listeners have less, left the <laughs> chat. Uh, but in terms of the video. Yeah. In terms of the video, these are not conversations that are all that unique on a draft floor. Like, every team has elements of that. But for Canucks fans, the whole thought process of why didn't they trade down? Is this a guy that, you know, if you're not taking Benson, if you're not taking... If you're going to take him and he's going to, you know, there's a chance that Arizona was in love with the guys that they wanted to take. Why didn't you trade down? Why'd you, why didn't you maybe pick up another pick Yeah. in order to facilitate a trade? Well, there you go. They had a discussion literally minutes before the pick was made. And if you really like a guy in that, you know, situation of the draft where you're saying, if he's there and we move down and he's gone, yeah. You're going to be kicking yourself after, right? Like, remember that combine interview with Cammy Granado? Yeah. Uh, she's in the room with everybody else, and he leaves the room, and she says, he's a beauty. Like, you can tell <laughs> the Canucks staff really like this kid. If you really like this kid, you're not taking that chance. So, it, it feels, um, they clearly love Tom Willander, right? And they, 
now have a pretty big investment in this player. They've made it clear that they didn't feel comfortable moving down. They knew who they wanted. They knew on their board. The other thing the video tells us is they essentially knew or they knew they had potentially somebody higher on their board than maybe other teams did. But the wild card was Arizona. And I don't think anybody knew what Arizona was going to do. I mean, nobody expected them to select Simashev at six. They went and selected his teammate at number 12. But if you look at Arizona's organizational depth chart, could they use a right shot defenseman to go along with uh, Simashev as their prized pick at sixth overall? Absolutely, they could. So I can understand the Canucks thinking that they might be on Tom Willander's radar as well. So moving down to 13 maybe doesn't help the Vancouver Canucks because they might not get their guy. And ultimately, that's what you want at 11th overall is get your guy, assuming you have the right guy in mind. Now, the conversation between Willander and Benson is going to last forever. Sure. But it's a bit of a... Not to make everything a comparison with the former management group, but... I'm going to make this comparison with the former management group. There is going to be the parallels with Yulevi versus Kachuk. There is going to be an element of they need Willander to hit, right? Just like they need Lekaramaki to hit, whether it's two years down the line, three years down the line, to add something to this group as they get closer to being a Stanley Cup contender. Hopefully, at least this front office is planning to be a Stanley Cup contender in that sort of a time frame, and you just can't miss, right? Like, what is, of all the things that were where Benning went wrong, he was supposed to be a draft guy. They took a huge swing and miss on Vertanen, and they took a huge swing and miss on Yulevi. Now, you're not going to hit every first-round pick that you have, but when you're drafted in the top five, six, you got to make sure that you hit on those. For and sure. those crushed the Jim Benning build of the Vancouver Canucks, amongst a lot of other things. Yeah, and listen, there were wins with the Pedersen and the Hughes. That's yeah. luck. That's part of you know talent evaluation where Detroit valued Zadina more. And, hey, you do your homework. You have Quinn Hughes higher on your list, and you're running to to the stage to make that pick. But well, Ken the... Holland was just like, I'm not drafting a short defenseman. So. Yeah. <laughs> and Ken Didn't Holland really is no out longer in Detroit. So that, yes. that tells you what you need to know there. But... When you're talking about, you know, that pick specifically, okay, organizational need, it's there. It's at that point, especially without Willander in the mix, it's what we were talking about, center or right shot D. But what is the toughest position in hockey to pick up? It's a right shot D. Yeah. You're going to have more luck in free agency and trades with a center. It might not be a franchise center, but picking up right shot defensemen in this league, especially that can play in the top four, on a good team. I'm yeah. not talking about guys that you take a shot at and say, hey, maybe you can you can work out for us. No, like legit guys. It's virtually impossible. Virtually impossible. So when you're having that discussion at your table, you know, you got to make sure that you, yeah, absolutely. These guys have to hit. But Rich, what I found more interesting is the dynamic of the group. Those discussions are not unique. With so many assistant general managers, so many staff that this regime has. Yes. The tenor of the conversation, Patrick Alvin is relying on his scouts, his scouting department, but also his assistant general managers. In that video, Todd Harvey obviously plays a large role. That's his job. The draft is his Super Bowl, so to speak. 
But Derek Clancy, Cami Granado, heavily involved as well yeah. as the assistant general general managers that are, you know, really front and center with scouting. And just to see how that dynamic works, where you know you mentioned Harvey gets the question, but Clancy, who going back to his days in Pittsburgh, very involved at the draft and free agency, he's kind of like a. Somebody told me when he was working in Pittsburgh, he's kind of like a chief of staff. He's a G, assistant GM, but at the same time, he kind of works on a lot of things at once. Yeah. And that's that clip kind of really reinforces that where it was a yeah, we're not getting him. Hey, you might have not <laughs> might have asked it Todd Harvey, but I'm gonna jump in and provide an answer yeah. because, you know, very, very involved as well as a AGM. Well, the the thing about it is um you you've gotta do your homework on what other teams are potentially going to look at. So I imagine they're not just going on a whim that they believe Arizona might take Tom Willander. They may have a good sense of who Arizona has at the top of their board when they are making that decision of whether or not they can move down to 13. And ultimately, what are they getting to move down to 13? Is it one of, you know, a second round pick from Buffalo might not even be that much. It might just be a third-round selection. It's only two spots in the draft. Sure, it is 11 to 13, but if you go by the draft value charts, it's not a massive, massive difference. But um, to state the obvious here, the Canucks just need Tom Melander to hit. <laughs> and that's, at the end of the day, that's the, uh, that's the thing that matters most in this conversation. The Canucks absolutely need to have made the right bet here on Tom Willander, and it's very clear in the video too. Willander wowed them in his interview, yeah, and wowed them with his hockey IQ, and those are two things that this organization continues to be very open about the idea that they value those two things very, very highly. And there is one question: if you haven't seen the video, the all-access video, um, they ask him about as a forward, former forward, yeah, you know, playing the defensive position, and and what kind of insight he can provide and. Provides a very detailed answer. I imagine that's not the entire answer that was given, but selected clips. But Reach, one thing we forget about this guy is, A, he's confident. Uh, You know, we can see that front and center. He's a good communicator. But what I like about this kid, and I think there's going to be more offensive potential there, is that the last two years, he's focused on playing defense. Like, his number one MO after he made the switch was, I need to be a defenseman. I need to be good defensively. There's more offense in his game. Like he's a good skater, and if you can put yourself in those positions, there's more there. So when when we talk about oh, there's not much offense in this game, or in Sweden there wasn't. The last two years have been him focusing on defense, and and that's a part of that question where he does bring a unique perspective that clearly the Canucks management team and and the scouting staff said, all right, there's there's something there. He understands the defensive side of things, but there's a little bit more offense there potentially too. It is uh, the morning show, Dan Riccio and Randy Chana continuing to go through what happened. And, um, well, what happened yesterday, Canada Basketball announced its 18-player training camp roster for the upcoming FIBA World Cup, which will tip off on August 25th. Training camp will open on August 1st. Rather than dwelling on those who have not committed... I love that the conversation, Randeep, has been about this is the best Canada roster that Canada basketball has ever been able to assemble. And it's headlined by NBA champion Jamal Murray, 
Shea Gilgis-Alexander in what could very well be the best backcourt in all of the world. And R.J. Barrett commits as well. Those three headline a a pretty good trio for Canada and what is a well-rounded roster. I believe by Vegas numbers, they are right now seventh best odds to win the World Cup, which seems kind of long considering the talent that's available for Canada. When you say seventh, it seems kind of like, oh, they're being disrespected, but they have the same odds as Greece, who have Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, think about it that way, right? Mm -hmm. Like, one of the best players on the planet, former MVP of the league. Yeah, who's Greece's next best player? Sorry? Who's Greece's next best player? Yeah, probably Giannis's (laughs) brother. One of them. I don't even know which one. Right? Like, one of them. Yeah. But you start looking at, and you mentioned the high-end talent, Jamal Murray, um, a couple of years ago, we had a live on location at the drive basketball camp in Richmond and Jamal Murray and Dylan Brooks were both there. And I remember asking Jamal this question about commitments. Are you committed uh, to team Canada? Remember at that point, we're talking about three or four years ago. It was a real conversation because some of the players that hadn't committed and are not on this roster, Andrew Wiggins, that was a conversation point. And at that point, his answer was, I'm there when they need me. Yeah. Like he was unequivocally, I am there. Same with Dylan Brooks. And both of those guys are on this roster. And what I like about this team is, yes, the high-end talent is there. That's what matters. When you have those two players you mentioned, you add an R.J. Barrett. But Reach, they got depth. You got Lou Dort there. You got Dylan Brooks. You got, you know, a, a bunch of players. Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Like you've got yeah. NBAers that are good players that the rest of the league is talking about. Canada has never had that in men's basketball. Like, you've had Steve Nash. You maybe had Rowan Barrett. You had Jamal McGlure. Yeah. But that wasn't this level of talent. They had one player in Steve Nash. The rest of the guys were good. These are starters. These are guys that, you know, are well-known in the NBA and excites you because are they capable of, you know, beating some good teams? I think so. This is a hell of a roster. It is a really good roster. And again, uh, Really has potential to have the best backcourt in uh, in all of the world with Jamal Murray there and Shea Gilgis Alexander, R.J. Barrett, Dylan Brooks on the team, Lou Dort, Kelly Olynyk, uh, Dwight Powell. There's ten NBAers all told. Some guys that are playing really high level in Europe as well, and of course some players too that uh, are regulars with Canada basketball even outside of the NBA season. So it's. Uh, it's really impressive to see this roster and how it's been assembled. Would you like to have Andrew Wiggins there? Of course you'd like to have as much talent as possible for this team. But uh, you can't uh, can't always get the perfect roster when it comes to international basketball. And uh, I'm just glad that uh, we do have a roster that is somewhere close to the one that we can expect like we talk about Canada's potential so often and through the years how it's not lived up to its potential and how often it's difficult for guys to commit to tournaments and different things like that but that's hardly a bit of a, a critique here with uh, the the roster that they've been able to assemble for this upcoming tournament and to be frank the omissions are yeah hey you want a couple of those guys on the roster yeah. but the additions are like totally totally are worth focusing on more so than to Wiggins, that's what the story has always been. Yeah, It's not like, you know, he's been a consistent performer for Canada. No, we're used to this. If anything, I expected him to be 
missing from this roster. So, Reach, I, like, the expectation with Andrew Wiggins in Canada is very low. If he plays, I'll be surprised. So it's not a shock at all. Um, moving along, a couple other things this morning. Uh, Alex Galchenyuk had his contract termina- terminated by the Coyotes. He was arrested on July 9th for... Well, a number of different things, and uh, including a hit and run. So it's not a good story for Alex Galchenyuk. He did not have a point with the Colorado Avalanche last year. And it's sort of a story after he had his 30-goal season with the Montreal Canadiens of a player that has disappointed on potential, and it's clear like, I know a lot of people are dunking on Alex Galchenyuk right now. You know, he's had uh, some substance abuse issues in the past, so I'm I'm not going to sit here and just crush Alex Galchenyuk over what's uh, probably a, a really difficult moment in his life. I mean, just eight days after he signs his contract with Arizona, he ends up getting arrested, and now uh, he's being released and terminated out of that contract. I don't believe this is the end of the story. We'll see how the NHLPA handles this, but... Um, it's uh, definitely a, a tough one for Alex Galchenyuk right now. Yeah, it's it's something that we don't have the entire information. We know what the charges are. We know what um, the arrest was centered on. But if overall you look at the last, I want to say, 11 years for Alex Galchenyuk, yeah. drafted third overall in 2012, um, we saw flashes of what kind of player he could be. That 30-goal season, what, 56 points total in 2015-2016. You know, good player, especially at that point in time. Later on, however, he turned into a journeyman. And when you have a 30-goal season under your belt, when you're still relatively young, and to be bouncing around from team to team like that, uh, there's obviously something there that you know teams are not willing to commit to. And to your point, there has been a little bit of a history there. So rather than focusing on, oh, he signed for 12 days, and you know we kind of live in that meme culture where everything's, everything's a joke. There's obviously something wrong here, right? Like, we'll see when more details come out. Yeah. Who knows? We don't have the full story, but it's sad when 11 years ago, this guy's drafted third overall. There's so much potential. You know, he's got the size. He's got the skill. He's got everything. And just a few years later, he's just bouncing around, and and that potential um, seems to have, unfortunately, now going to waste. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a tough story, and um, we'll see how it develops from here, but could be one that... Um, Again, the NHLPA still has something to say about as far as whether the Arizona Coyotes had grounds to terminate Alex Galchenyuk's contract even through what happened. It it is also um, just a a comment on this as well. When you are a fringe player with a professional team, this is not just um, solely to the NHL, but We've seen it in other sports leagues. When you are a fringe player on one of those teams and you do something um, untoward, you're probably gone. Whereas if you are a prominent player on a team, there's a lot more that they will put up with, unfortunately. That's uh, the difference in, in a lot of those occasions. Yeah, depending on what happens in the situation and more information coming out, you'll hey, this might be one of the last times we see Alex Galchenyuk and in a hockey sweater in North America, right? Like, I hate 100%. to say that, but yep. you're right. If you're a star, you're going to probably get another look. Yeah. But if you're not that star, this might be the, the final the final straw. Uh, closing it out, what happened? Uh, even the Edmonton Elks hate Edmonton, apparently. <laughs> Every game's a road game. 
Do you know the last time the Edmonton Elks won a game on home field? It's been a while. October 2019. A run of 20 straight home games. Wait, wait, wait. They have not won a game. Yeah. So, wait, the last time they I mean, won the a CFL home... the CFL was dark for a while during uh, the pandemic. But still, they haven't won a game since pre-pandemic. Yes. At, at home. Yes. Have they won a game since they switched their name to the Elks? I don't think so. I don't so. think so. <laughs> They've never won a home game as the Elks. No. It's, uh, it's one of the most unwanted history stories of all time. Were they not known because of Edmonton's football history and the hockey history, yep. the City of Champions? Yep. And now they have this record? Yeah. Don't they have a sign as you drive into the city, City of Champions? <laughs> I might be taking shots here at Edmonton. Yes. Um, the, the home loss uh, equals the MLB's St. Louis Browns, who we all know very well, who lost 20 games in a row in 1953. So... Um, uh, it's it's been a tough look. Quarterback Taylor Cornelius has had the misfortune of taking uh, most of the L's since stepping into the starting role in 2021, and he was uh, not very good last night either. No, there was <laughs> that the highlights one, that I saw. The one interception where he's going down for the sack, and he just uh, you know when when you're just like trying to get rid of the ball, you don't want to get yeah. lose eight yards. Yep. One of the more comical interceptions you'll see all year long. Uh, clarification coming in, thanks to the morning show listeners. They haven't won since. They changed their show name. Unbelievable. And that's what I said. So there you go. They, they haven't. They they haven't won. Or changed the their else. show name. Uh, changed their, their team, team name. name. Yes. Richie had a good twenty five minutes before. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about <laughs> get Re- some more coffee in the system. I was thinking about reach deep in the morning, and then uh, all of a sudden it's uh, taken over my head. All right, it's uh, Dan Richo and Randeep Chand. A lot still to come. More in on your Vancouver Canucks and. Uh, I think we still need to break down Lionel Messi's grocery list. That's coming up next on The Morning Show. It's the morning show, Dan Richo and Randy Janda. Alfred and Brett in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. A lot coming into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, Edmonton haven't won since they changed their name to the Elks. And now when you drive into Edmonton, they change the side to read. Are you sure? <laughs> Yikes. Man. Yikes. Um, also, the attendance in Edmonton yesterday. Not great. At, not great at Commonwealth, Commonwealth Stadium. Look, uh, I, I am not a uh, big time CFL watcher. I don't uh, try to pretend to anybody that I am. I've never really been, and maybe it's uh, <laughs> maybe it's because I'm not into Canadiana. But uh, I don't know if you could say that when you know Edmonton, which is supposed to be one of the CFL's flagship franchises, can barely get even you know, a, a good crowd there at Commonwealth. There was definitely more empty seats than filled seats. And 
I honestly can't blame anybody in Edmonton. They haven't seen a win since 2019 on home field. Well, that's the thing about a summer league, though, right? You better be competitive or win. Otherwise, people are like, you know what? I'm going to go hiking. I'm going to go camping. I'm going to go walk by whatever. Like, I'm just going to go do something else. I have other options. Where in the winter, in fall, when it's kind of dark and gloomy, it's like you don't really have as many options. Want to go watch a hockey game? That's what you're going to do. In the summertime? Yeah, you've got like 15 options, man. Like the team better be good. It's uh, or it's the just, experience better be good. Yeah, and it's just a, a long-standing question I've had about the CFL. It's just like where, where, and what is the long-term goals here? Now, of course, you know, like yet you, you like to have a little piece of of Canadiana, and and it is our league as a country, and it has been, but. Yeah, Vancouver has had a little bit of a resurgence here with the BC Lions, but we know the Argos situation. The Alouettes is not much better. Edmonton's looking bleak. You're just you're running out of flagship franchises in the CFL that are you know positive stories right now. Vancouver and, and the BC Lions are seemingly uh, one of the few positive stories right now for the CFL. But well, that's an ownership. Again, I don't want to dunk on a league no. that I, I don't uh, follow all that closely. No, ownership cares here in Vancouver. Amr Doman's done an unbelievable job of re-energizing the local market here. Edmonton, I actually have belief that they'll be back. You just have to have a good product, and they are nowhere near a good product. It's actually quite embarrassing. The other three cities you mentioned, uh, Montreal and Toronto specifically, yeah, yeah those ones those ones are going to be extremely difficult to navigate. Those are the ones you worry about. Edmonton, get a good product on the field, and they will come back. People want to be associated with a brand that is not the laughing stock of the league. That's the case for any league, right? Yep. Uh, Austin Langley, when Edmonton gets internet and finds out that stat, they're going to be pissed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. I- I'm actually going to Alberta in a couple of weeks. Oh, are you? Not Edmonton. Mm. I'm going to Calgary. Okay. That's not so bad. Calgary and Canmore. I, uh, I've only been into Calgary for like, uh, like fly in in the morning, fly out at night. It's so like <laughs> not in even Calgary. Stay, yeah. Okay. Not yeah. even stay longer than that. You want to know the last time I actually went to Cal- uh, Edmonton? Mm. Six, <laughs> when I was, you don't want to, I'm going to tell you anyways. I was six months old. Oh, wow. I've, I have not, even to watch a hockey game, I've yeah. never been to the, like, never watched a hockey game in Edmonton, which is odd, uh, I know. So I uh, I flew into Edmonton to call an FC Edmonton match in the inaugural Canadian Premier League season. That's Bruce Meadows, or is that Calgary? Uh, that's that's Calgary. That's Calgary. Right? Uh, yeah. Much better than where <laughs> I think it was Clark Stadium uh, in in Edmonton. I don't know. And it was like after the match finished, I, I finished calling the match, and I have some time before my flight. So I'm looking through on Google Maps and being like, where am I? Because it's not in the downtown core. And I'm like, oh, Little Italy's around the corner. Man, let, let me check it out. What a regret. <laughs> it was scary, man. There was like a tumbleweed going through the town. I was like, what's what did I just walk into here? This is Little Italy? It's the saddest Little Italy that's ever been spotted in North America. I'm going to call an Uber now and head uh Head to Joey's downtown, which did not... Uh, it didn't work for Kuzmenko. didn't work for Kuzmenko, but it worked for me at that moment. The so. lettuce wraps were no good. He was like, I'm out. <laughs> uh, this text, have you been? Have you guys been to Edmonton? It's either the Elks or the Mall in the summer. Yes. So there was a lot of people at the Mall the last night then. <laughs> that that explains it. West Edmonton Mall. Did, haven't, haven't seen it. Haven't been. There's like four Orange Juliuses. 
I oh really? Know. I don't know. I'm... Okay. I'm, I, yeah. Is there like a roller coaster or something? It's a, it's yeah, a big there's mall. a ice rink, maybe two. There's yeah. like yeah, there's there's stuff there. I guess people in Edmonton need things to do in the winter when it's just like completely unbearable to go outside, right? Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, all right, that's enough Edmonton talk here on the morning show. <laughs> we told you it was a mail it in Friday. Uh, if you have any questions for us, uh, mail it in Friday. Uh, send them in through 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Um, We've got a, a celebrity text that just rolled in right now. Yeah. And uh, this is an hour away still. Mm-hmm. But the text says, hey, boys, it's Taylor who built Puck Doku. Oh, wow. If you do the game today on the stat screen after you click a player and see all the possible answers. Thanks again for playing. Taylor of Puck Doku fame. Yes. Is a fan of the show. Uh, Taylor. Uh, well, Puck Doku uh, tweeted us yesterday. I guess word's been going around that we've been playing Puck Doku at 745 every single morning here on the morning show. And we will again today, by the way. But uh, Puck Doku tweeted us last night and said, got to agree that Puck Doku is a much better fit for your show than Password. And so while, you know, <laughs> um, doing the victory dance that Puck Doku has taken over for Password on Reach Deep. Yeah. Um, also getting in that, uh, yeah, it's a better fit. Okay, some Password. people were saying that Puck Doku's dunking on Password. I don't see it as that. Okay. Because Password... Password had its time. Password, at the time, was the greatest thing on the planet. I'm not even... That's not even hyper. It swept the nation. Oh, yeah. It was it was universal, really, if you think about it. Yes. But there was a time and a place for it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Puck Doku is reaching out and saying, hey, this is a great fit. It's not, not being dunked on. We're being patted on the back for bringing this game to the radio airwaves. And also, uh, by supporting Puck Doku, apparently we are supporting local. That's right. And I can confirm he's uh, Taylor's got a 604 number, so <laughs> we see your number, Taylor. Thanks for listening. Of course, something so brilliant would be uh, made in Vancouver. Uh, so we love it, and we're going to play Puck Doku coming up after 745. So uh, have you seen the picture of Lionel Messi at Publix in Miami? Oh, yeah. Love it. Lionel Messi is going to be introduced to uh, the North American soccer audience on Sunday during the Gold Cup halftime show. And uh, Gold Cup final, I think it's uh, Mexico is uh, going to be a part of it. U.S. lost out in the semifinal, so they they won't be getting there. But Lionel Messi is being introduced and is likely to make his Inter-Miami debut at some point next week. July 21st is what they have circled for their first League's Cup match. And yesterday, Lionel Messi was spotted at a Publix with a full grocery cart looking absolutely defeated for having to go elbows up through the aisles of the Publix grocery store and is coming out the other end alive. <laughs> I got so much respect for this guy. This guy's going to make what a hundred million dollars next year. Yeah. Something. Would insane. you ever, would you ever see Cristiano Ronaldo in like a 
any I don't care I don't know what the Saudi equivalent is, but yeah. I'm assuming he's not going in a shopping cart buying Lucky Charms. <laughs> the man has Lucky Charms in Family his shopping. Family size. Family size. Family size Lucky Charms. And you know Leo's having like one bowl himself at least. Yeah. Most of it's probably for the kids. But this is a man of the people. There's a lot of cereal in this uh in this grocery cart. An- another reason to love Lionel Messi and his family. Big cereal guy. Yeah. He's one of us guys. <laughs> and it reminded me like legitimately that shot looks like any Trader Joe's in Washington state. Like yeah. it has the same backdrop as well. Yeah. And I was like, this guy was probably like, <laughs> as you're saying, waiting in a long lineup, right? <laughs> One of the women in this picture, I've analyzed this picture a lot. She looks so frustrated. If you look behind him, like she's been there for two hours navigating this grocery store. And Leo's got the same defeated look. on Same his face. defeated look. We've all been there, right? It's Lionel, This is the everyman picture. Lionel Messi, the everyman. I feel like this is the dream Lionel Messi was chasing. He's got everything in the world, right? He's got everything. Anything he wants, he has it at his fingertips. You know what Lionel Messi has never been able to do in the last, I don't know, what is he, an 87 baby? He's been, uh, he's been a star on the world stage since she was 16. So we're going back to like 2006. So basically for the last 15, 16, 17 years, Lionel Messi has not been able to leave his home in peace. Right? Yep. This is the dream he was chasing by coming to MLS. Being able to live the everyman lifestyle. I want to go to the grocery store with my family and not be hounded by a thousand people while I do that. Yeah, good luck with that because what happened at that grocery store? Selfie after <laughs> selfie after selfie. He went to a restaurant called Prima Pasta. Prima Pasta. Yeah, yeah. sure. Prima Pasta. I there have you have to throw an Indian accent on it. Um, <laughs> and same thing. Walks out of the restaurant. Yes. There's like a line of 40 people taking selfies. It looked like he went out the back too. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I know you're looking for, he said it, a more calm life. Yes. I don't know if you're going to find it in Miami. If you wanted a calm life, you should have gone to Columbus. <laughs> or Edmonton. Uh, it, it's just, at the same time, though, there are a lot of people in the U.S. that will not recognize Lionel Messi. No, man. Because he also does, like, he doesn't strike you as an athlete, right? Like, if you were to see Cristiano Ronaldo walking down the street, he'd probably, like, you'd be like, okay, that guy looks. Yeah, that guy's ripped. Yeah, that guy looks different from everybody yeah. else. Whereas Messi, he's like small, he's slight. You know, of course he's incredibly fit, but it doesn't like, he just kind of looks like a skinny guy walking the street. So can Miami, it's going to be different because of the And Latin- he's short, you know, when somebody's short, you're kind of a little bit more nondescript. You're like, that guy looks like Neil and Messi, but no, he's way too short. Can't yeah. be him. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> just walk by him. But with, with Miami, it's going to be different, right? The Latin American population, yes. like, it's, there's going to be easy... You know, easy for him to be spotted, and this will be the, the normal thing. Yeah. But when he travels with the team, like, just imagine if he's walking through an FC Dallas match. Yeah. And, like, they're in Frisco, Texas, or wherever it is. I don't even know where they play anymore. But he's walking down the street. Yeah. Like a suburban <laughs> Texan town? Like, probably not. <laughs> People won't probably know who he is. I, I know... Um... For when Sebastian Jovinko got to Toronto FC, that was a big thing for him. And Jovinko is obviously not the star Lionel Messi is. They're completely different stratospheres. But for almost any player, any 
decent level player in Europe playing for a pretty big team, your life's just different, man. Like you can't go anywhere (laughs) without being like here. I think in North America, we do have a little bit more politeness to us, right? Where, you know, maybe if you're out in Yale town and you see a Vancouver Canuck, you might stop and say hi, potentially ask for a selfie. But I find in North America, especially if you were to see somebody, you know, say you're down at Parlor in Yale Town and you see a Canuck having dinner with somebody, uh, with either a couple of buddies or their partner, whatever it might be, there's generally most people aren't going to like, you know, disturb that person, right? They're just going to let them be. Be like, oh, cool, look, there's JT Miller. But they're not gonna. I was gonna say, depends what time at parlor. <laughs> if it's like, if it's like one a.m., <laughs> yeah, it might be different. Might be different. Think yeah. the cell phone cameras are getting out. <laughs> might be a little inebriated. You never know. Different vibe. Uh, could be a totally different vibe. Vibe. Uh, soccer sucks. Holy. Well, I hope you uh, enjoy the next hour of the show. Vanny Sartini's going to join us, and we'll talk more soccer uh, uh, and Lionel Messi with Felipe Cardenas. Yeah, and texture, please. If you have a question for either of those. Gentlemen, send us in. <laughs> Soccer sucks, Texter. Uh, Maury, the mill manager, since it's a mail-it-in Friday, which form of slacking is greater, mailing it in or phoning it in? <laughs> I just think I like mailing it in better. I would generally tend to mail it in rather than phone it in. But if you're actually trying to send the message of not doing much work, yes. mailing it in requires too much work. Phoning it in is like, right? Yeah, It's a lazy man's game. Nobody writes letters anymore. Uh, Adam, the former bath guy, a staple on the Friday morning show is Ask Us Anything, better known as AUA. So keeping with that tradition, AUA, if you had to choose, would you ra- would you rather be a high-rise window washer or a deep-sea welder? Uh, that's from Adam, the former bath guy. Um, again, it's Mail It In Friday. We are trying to remain somewhat separate from Halford and Bruff in the morning where we can. So we, we wanna, it might be Ask Us Anything Friday for them. Yeah. For us, it's Mail It In Friday. Exactly. It's a little bit more wordy. Uh, a little bit more than AUA. We haven't figured out a, a shortened version. Yes. But we're only here for one day, so it's all good. Um, to answer your question, window washer. I'd rather do that. Anything deep sea <laughs> on a normal time scares me. because okay, You like know the, what I've learned? There are way too many people around here, especially this being a coastal city. That are super afraid of the ocean. Yeah. Elon, are you afraid of the ocean? This can't be a thing. No, I love the ocean. Well, like, what's, why is everybody so afraid of the ocean? You Big live swimmer. next to the ocean. Yeah, you Boats. live next to it. You don't live in it, man. <laughs> Nothing wrong with going for a dip on a summer day. Right? Might be a little cold. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stereotype here. So my, are you my, afraid my... of swimming in the ocean? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually generalize my community. A lot of my friends, a lot of my South Asian friends, Punjabis, yeah. we don't swim very well. <laughs> All right? So that might be a reason. And it's not that we can't. It's that a lot of us never learned. Yeah. And I, I went to Mexico once, uh, Cancun, mm-hmm. spring break, and I thought I could swim. So I went out into the lagoon. <laughs> And then I don't like where this well, is going. So, you know, you're you're well, kind of you're in the pool, you're doing your thing, it's fine. Before you finish the story, at least you're still here. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. But once the uh the ocean floor kind of gives way, yeah. I realize that this is not good. 
this is not what I, yeah, swimming in, in, in the ocean is not my thing. So to answer the question, deep sea welding, hell no. Hell no. Hell to the no. Uh, all right. We're getting enough text that people want us to start talking hockey now. All right. On July 14th. Just can't get enough of it. No, we got to talk some hockey. Come on. It's Vancouver. So we talked about uh, the revelation that the Canucks on the draft pay- table in the moment, in the lead up to the 11th overall selection, they pondered moving down with the Buffalo Sabres, two spots down, ultimately decided not to, as we know. But as we look ahead to the season, Randeep, okay, you've got Elias Pettersson. Okay, you've got JT Miller, Quinn Hughes. We know where generally a lot of the offense is going to come from. One of my big takes so far after free agency has been, I get that they have some high-end offense, but this team doesn't generate chances at a particularly high rate. They didn't last year, and now that they've made defensive improvements, not that I'm against the defensive improvements that they've made, but they were all focused solely on shoring up the defensive side of the ice. And for a team that was average at creating opportunities, especially at five-on-five, did they not neglect the offensive side of the puck? So I want to know, if you were to drum up who you think can be an offensive X factor for the Canucks in this upcoming season. Who could it be? You have the likes of Kuzmenko, Beauvillier, Besser, Garland, Mikheyev coming back from injury. Who are the Canucks going to need to step up offensively now that they've seemingly made some defensive improvements? I've got two names and One's a forward, one's a defenseman. Yeah. And I'll start with the defenseman because outside of Quinn Hughes and, you know, (laughs) some offensive game from Luke Shen of all people, the defense really didn't do much offensively. Like, they were picking up assists, but they were not picking up goals. And for me, I think Philip Hronik is going to add an element on the second pair, whoever he plays with, where he's going to be able to use that shot. And does that mean nine goals like he had... Last year with the Detroit Red Wings, does that mean more? Um, That's a player that I look at and say, does he have 40-point potential? Absolutely he does. They need that on that second pair. So often when we think of depth scoring, we think of forwards only. Yeah. No, in this case, you know, pushing the pace, getting that shot off, which we know he has a heavier shot, uh, finding those passing lanes in the slot, like slot pass completions. Philip Ronick was quite good. Yeah. You know, top, what, 30 player in the NHL when it came to that. So... Offensive creation, I look at Heronic to say, yeah, this is one of the reasons the Canucks picked you up. Your defending is one thing, but your ability to get that shot off, your ability to create and join the rush every now and then. The other player that I would look at, and it's not necessarily goals and assists, but are you doing the dirty work to get puck possession to generate? And that's Ilya Mikheyev, right? Yeah. We saw him playing injured, really, and he was... At the time, we're saying, hey, this player can give more. But we didn't know the severity of an injury. We could see he was not right. Him being 100% right, he is the best, I would say, F1 that this team has. And the, yeah. You know, he plays with speed. He's a, a, a real problem in transition. He can get in on the forecheck. 
he can do the dirty work in that top six. So even though the points might not come from him, but his ability to create on the PK, his ability to move up and down that lineup and be that catalyst is going to be vital for this team. So I know they're not the names like Brock Besser or Connor Garland, but the work that Mikheyev is going to be doing wherever he plays, whether it's the first line or the third line, depending on what time of the year, that's really important for this team because they need somebody that pressures defensemen on the other side. Puck can't be in their zone very much. Mikheyev is going to play a huge part of that. The uh, point you make on Hironic is a massive one. The last time the Canucks had a 30-point defenseman not named Quinn Hughes uh, was around the same time that the Edmonton Elks won their last game at home. All right. Alex, this is the Edmonton Elk show. <laughs> you got to go back to the 2019-20 Canucks where Alex Edler scored 33 points. It's been that long. Okay, you can look back at it. OEL, I think, had 29 points last year or two that, years ago. That ain't 30, though. It's not 30. And Hronik, you know, I think the other part of this, not looking through the goals part, but the Canucks haven't had a lot of goals from defensemen in recent years. Now, Susie has you know 10 goals to his name. We know Hironic last year had a, had a stretch where he scored, I think, six games in a row for Detroit. So both of those players have at least some level of a shooting threat from the point, which I think could add an element for the Vancouver Canucks. But the obvious answer here is Brock Besser. You know, we all remember at the start of training camp last year is and him being asked, uh, is this the year you score 30, 30 goals? And he says, yeah, this is the year. Makes that claim, gets injured almost immediately after, and, you know, the season goes sideways from there. He had somewhat of a trade request in season and then rescinded his trade request maybe because the interest simply wasn't there from other teams and he and his agent realized it's not going to be easy to move our contract we've got to focus on getting better on the ice if we are going to maximize our chance at hitting another big contract going into free agency after next season it was a big year for Brock Besser and the Canucks absolutely are banking on some level of internal improvement and Brock although the point totals were there we all know Brock didn't play to the best of his ability we know that there is more goal scoring potential for Brock Besser so that's the player I'm looking to to be an offensive X factor for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, mail it in Friday. Keep those coming in. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We'll get to your questions for us. But up next, Vanny Sartini is going to join us here on Canucks. Oh, not it's not Canucks Central. It's the morning show on Sportsnet 650.